Hey guys, welcome to the weekly podcast of Encounter Church, Sedalia, Missouri. It's our prayer that this message is a blessing and an encouragement to your life. If you want more information about Encounter Church, please go to our website, encounterchurch.ag. Thanks again. Enjoy the message. Amen? Amen. All right. How many of you are ready for the Word of God this morning? Yes. Well, this morning we are continuing in a series in the book, in the Old Testament, in the book of Nehemiah. We find this guy that everything was going well. Recap very quickly. Life was great. He was the second greatest position in the kingdom. Everything was awesome. The cupbearer for the king and suddenly has a casual conversation with his brother and some friends. And he's asking how the people back in Jerusalem are doing. And his brother says, it's awful, just terrible. People are in ruins. The walls are torn down. There's no hope. They're discouraged. It's awful. Suddenly, Nehemiah's heart is broken. He begins to cry out to God. The Bible says that he fasted before the Lord. He he mourned before the Lord. He, He cried out to God, and God sent him to Jerusalem to help rebuild the walls. And in the end, in 52 days, he was able to accomplish what no one had been able to do for 90 years. Twice they had tried. Twice they had failed. See, we're taking the time in this series, a seven-week study, to look at the book of Nehemiah to discover how we, the people of God, the church, how do we go about advancing hope in a time and a culture that is anything but hopeful? Would you agree with me today that, that outside these walls and potentially in some inside of these walls even today, there's a lack of hope? We're ready to throw in the towel. We're ready to give up. Now, in Nehemiah, we we discover as he's pinning these words of this great book, we discover several steps that we can take. Even in the year 2021, we can take these steps to accomplish the great task of advancing the hope, not a, a circumstantial hope, Not a a relational hope, if everything works out right, but a, a hope that is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ. That's the hope that we, the church, that's the hope that we, the people of God, guess what, folks? If you have Jesus in your life, you have that hope. But here's the deal. You don't have that hope so you can keep it to yourself. You see, God blesses you, God pours in to you, God fills you to overflowing. Why? So that you can spread that hope to the world that is lost. So that you can be an instrument of his peace. But here we are, we look at Nehemiah, we look at the the situation that they're facing. Half the wall is built. That's a huge accomplishment. In 90 years, that has not happened. They're halfway there. They're they're living on a prayer. Come on, somebody. Some of you are singing the song. Some of you have no idea. But suddenly, in the midst of all of this, they find themselves discouraged. In fact, look what it says in in chapter 4, verse 10, this is our text for today. I've titled this morning's message, Motivated Through Discouragements. 
That's hard. Can I be really honest and transparent with you this morning? It's hard to be motivated when you're filled with discouragement. But we're going to discover today, what do we need to do? What steps can we take individually? Because here's the deal, folks. If we, the believer, if we are overwhelmed and discouraged, if we are at the very pit of all of this, there is no way that we can be effective for the kingdom of God. Come on. So what do we have to do? We've got to move forward. We've got to fill and and refill and and overflow. We've got to daily seek after the kingdom of God. We've got to daily lay it before him. We've got to daily ask for an overflowing and an infilling of his spirit. Why? So that we can be used. And if we're scraping the scum off the bottom of the bucket, we're not going to be effective. Look what happens in verse 10. It says, then the people of Judah began to complain. Come on, they're halfway through. Half the wall is built. Everything is going great. We're making great progress. We've accomplished things that hadn't been accomplished in 90 years. And suddenly, right in the midst of all this, the Bible says, then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. So much rubble to be removed. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Can you relate to that verse? Sure. You see, there comes a point, a time in life, we reach this moment when we're just ready to throw in the towel. We're just ready to give up. We started out strong. We started out with with boldness. We started out with confidence, but now we're just tired. We're frustrated. We're exhausted. We feel that there's not even a use of continuing forward. Maybe it's just me, but as I look at our culture today, I, I see more people that are giving up on the advancement of hope than I have in a very long time. We just don't see the point. Why even continue? I can't make a difference. There's, there's nothing I can really do. Opposition is hitting from every side. It, it seems easier just to check out, just to throw in the towel, just to give up. It's so much easier just to say, I don't want to mess with it anymore than it does to press forward and advance hope. I want to remind you of something I told you two weeks ago, and this is probably something that's going to be repeated over and over throughout this series. There is little opportunity without opposition. Listen carefully. There is little opportunity without opposition. There's always going to be something that falls in front of you to discourage you. There's always going to be something that makes you a little tired. There's always going to be something that frustrates you a little bit. There's always going to have an op- be an opportunity to throw in the towel, to give up, to say there's no hope at all. And that's where the people in Judah found themselves. Half the wall has been completed. Things are going well, and suddenly the opposition heats up a little bit more. Discouragement 
sets in. Physically, they're getting tired. They're worn out. They look around and they think, am I even making a difference? Can I even accomplish anything more? There is no way we can do this. Let me be honest with you. If you're a Christian today, if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, you are going to face opposition from the enemy. Take it to the bank. It's going to happen. You can expect opposition for two reasons. Number one, we live in a world that is at its core bent in opposition to God. We, we live in a, a culture, in a society that can't grasp the idea of God's saving grace. We, we live in a time that, that's searching for love, but we're looking in all the wrong places. We're searching for hope, but we're looking in opposite directions, and we miss out on the things of God. Secondly, we have an enemy, the devil. He's in opposition to anyone who stands upon the word of God, anybody that believes in the word of God. Why? Because his purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. He will do anything and everything he can. He will use people. He will use situations. He will use emotions. He will use any tactic he can find to tear you down, to get you discouraged. That's what happened in Nehemiah chapter 4. The hard work had begun. They had accomplished half of this task. Half the wall was built, and suddenly opposition begins to pour in from all directions. What started out with enthusiasm is now ending with discouragement. Here's a little note of truth. None of us are immune to discouragement. Let that sink in. Because some of you are like, man, how can that person over there always be joyful? How can that person over there always seem to have hope? And here I am in the pit of despair over and over and over. Not a single one of us is immune to discouragement. The question is, how will you respond when discouragement comes knocking at the door? How will you respond when, when opposition arises? How will you respond when you get tired, frustrated, worn out? We can learn something from Nehemiah. How we deal with the situation can either destroy us in the moment or build our character in turn, which makes us stronger and, and happier on the other side. Now, before I get too much further into this, let me share something else with you. Discouragement is highly contagious. Did you know that? It spreads like wildfire in casual conversation. I love what they said in our text. The workers are getting tired. I can't tell you how many times I've had people walk up and say this. Well, everybody's saying this. Right? 
Oh, it's so easy to, to, to put ourselves in this situation to make it so much larger. Well, everybody has a struggle. Well, no, it's just you and your wife have the issue. Right? Okay, like only one of you in the room ever experienced that kind of conversation. Thank you, Matthew. We can't allow the situation, the moment, to become larger than it actually is. We can't allow it to defeat us before we even get out of the gate. You quickly become the product of the environment in which you live. People can become disheartened and discouraged because of what you are relating, what you are saying. Again, we're to represent Jesus in all that we say and all that we do. You can become discouraged because someone else is, is griping and moaning and complaining and, and sorrowful and all of these things going on and something that's rubbing off on you and you're like, yeah, I feel the same way. Discouragement sets in. Therefore, be cautious of what environment, what people you surround yourself with. Be cautious. I, I, I would encourage you, I would challenge you today. Take a moment and sit down and say, Lord, what's my environment look like? You see, because sometimes we're oblivious to what's happening in our environment because we've hung out in this stench too long. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We come, become familiar with the environment, become familiar with the situation, familiar with the negativity, and we fail to truly see. We gotta take a moment, step out of the situation and say, Lord, reveal to me, God, show me right now, what am I dealing with in the environment in which I've placed myself? God may say to you, it's time for you to get up. It's time for you to change the environment. It's time for you to separate yourself from that group for a season, or it's time for you to begin to shine. It's time for you to be a light in the midst of the darkness. It's time for you to be, make an impact for the kingdom of God. It's time for you to begin to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. It's time for you to begin to be adventurous and move forward in the things of God. It's time that we move forward to be the light and the hope that God's called us to be. Now, it says in verse 6, that the people worked with all their hearts. Things were going well. The people were excited. The wall was going up. Then something happened. Opposition got stronger and stronger. Because of that opposition, they got discouraged. See, getting the work started on the wall that wasn't a major problem. Nehemiah was able to accomplish that. He went in, and in a matter of days, he rallied the troops. He got the people gathered together. They were excited. They were going to accomplish something that had never been accomplished. The problem was keeping the workers working, keeping the workers motivated, keeping the workers encouraged proved to be so much more difficult. Now, this particular chapter, if we dissect it and really process through it, it teaches us how to deal with discouragements 
And it also makes us aware of the tactics that the enemy uses to discourage us. So we're going to look at some of that this morning. Two primary sources of discouragement. Number one is this, external. The first source of discouragement that we face is external. It's the environment. It's what's happening around us. If you look around the world today, you look at social media, you'll see what's happening. It's easy for every one of us to become discouraged very quickly, simply turning on social media, simply turning on the news. I'll be honest, man, I can sit there and watch those political videos all day long. But my wife, many times she'll look at me and she goes, would you just stop watching that stuff? Because every time I start watching, I get fired up. Right? All the conspiracy theories start rushing through my mind. I'm like, that's what they're doing. Come on. The external, it has an impact upon our lives. It begins to stir things in us, and oftentimes it moves us to the the place and and the the circumstance of discouragements. Chapter 4, we notice... They were getting lost in the moments. Yes, up to that point, they had a lot accomplished, but suddenly, guess who shows up? The the loud guy, the, the guy that's been vocal from the very beginning, the opposition from the very moment of, of Nehemiah's arrival, even before they started building the building, the naysayers and the accusers stepped in and started raising trouble for them. Verse 1 and 2 of chapter 4 says this, Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day? By just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap? And charred ones at that. He was hard on the people. He attacked them personally. He attacked their work. Can they make anything out of all of this rubbish? The the gates have been burned. Can they really do anything out of this junk? These poor, feeble, little Jews. Then his good buddy, Tobiah, chimes in. That wall's so bad. That even a fox walking across it will cause it to collapse. That's what he said to them. Let me give you a little side note here. The enemy, again, will use any tactic. And he began to, to get into their minds by the external noise. The wall that they were rebuilding, there is no way that a fox could knock it over. Do you know why? It was nine feet wide. That'd be a big old fox. <laughs> but the people heard that. They allowed the, the noise on the outside. And I can imagine the crowd that day. Can a fox really knock this, this wall over? Is what Tobias is saying? Is that really true? 
Oh, I, I think he may be right. He, he's on to something. We're just weak, feeble people. We can't accomplish anything. All this stuff is, this is drunk. This is rubble. The gates have been burnt. What are we doing? See how quickly discouragement can set in. But here's something to grab a hold of. This tactic of ridicule and, and mockery, it's not something new. Goliath used it to David. Oh, look at you. Am I a dog that you come before me? Were you sending a little shepherd boy out to fight me, Goliath? All you have is this little slingshot and a few rocks. Look at my armor. Oh, you're but a wee little boy, right? What about when, when Jesus was on the cross? The mockery that the soldiers made of Jesus. The crowd that ridiculed him. If you're really the son of God, if you're really who you say you are, and yet we look at ourselves when ridicule comes our direction, when someone begins to mock us, and then what do we do? Oh, poor little me. I can't believe they're making fun of me. I can't believe they're, they're mocking me. Discouragement from the outside steps in. But there's another source, and it's internal. You've got the external forces, and now the internal forces. Verse 10 says this, Then the people of Judah began to complain. This is our text. The workers are getting tired, and there's so much rubble to be removed we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. They allowed the noise on the exterior to move to the inside. See, the opposition outside can lead to depression on the inside. Causes me to ask this question. What are we willing to internalize? Whose reports will we allow to sink deep inside of us? Whose reports will you believe? You see, I would venture to say if you would ask Nehemiah that day, he was pretty pumped. He was pretty excited. Man, look at what we're accomplishing. We're halfway there. We are doing what no one has done before. We're accomplishing a task they said couldn't be accomplished. This is awesome. Yet Sanballat and Tobiah and others come up and begin to mock in the noise. You're weak. You're feeble. You don't have anything of quality to offer. Do you think your moment of sacrifice is really going to make a difference? Do you really think that your moment of prayer is really going to make a difference? Do you really think going to church is going to make a difference? Do you really think hanging out with other feeble people is going to make a difference? You get to internalize. And soon we find ourselves reiterating those very words. We're tired. There's no use. I'm weak. I'm feeble. 
I can't make a difference. It's so easy to internalize the word of the enemy and feel like giving up. This morning, very quickly, I want to give you three steps to defeat the discouragement. Are you ready for that? Three steps, three simple things that if you will do, I believe it will make a huge impact upon your life. Number one, stay connected to God. If you want to accomplish the task that God has laid before you, if you want to begin to rebuild that wall, if you would, that God has laid upon your heart, if you want to be able to defeat the discouragement from the outside, if you want to shield yourself on the inside, then you must begin to stay connected. Here's a little side note. Before you stay connected, you got to get connected. If you're not connected, man, that's the starting point. That's opening up the gate. That's stepping out. That's saying, Lord, come in to my life. Lead me and guide me. But once you make that decision, stay the course. Paul said it this way. Fight the good fights. Finish the race. In this book, the book of Nehemiah, there are so many prayers In fact, there are more prayers in this book than in many of the books of the Bible, which shows something to me. Nehemiah remained in harmony with God. He he remained a unified spirit with God Almighty. It was his nature. It was his desire. It wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't something he did once a week, but on a regular basis, he moved forward in a prayer life, in a connection, in a community with God Almighty. Look at verse four and five. Nehemiah says, then I, say it with me, prayed. Then I prayed. Listen to this prayer. Hear us, our God, For we are being mocked. Can I just say something to you real quick? Many times in conversation with people, I'll have individuals say, well, I just don't know how to pray. My response to that is, do you know how to talk? If you know how to talk, you know how to pray. Because God just wants to hear What's on your heart? He wants to hear the honesty from deep down inside. And that's where Nehemiah was in this prayer. This wasn't a a sugarcoat prayer. This wasn't a everything is going great in the moment prayer. He says, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sin, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. What a prayer. I mean, oftentimes we try to pray things like, Lord, I pray that in this situation, Lord, that you will change their hearts, Lord, that the enemies, their voices will be stifled, that no weapons formed against us will prosper, Lord, that you'll strengthen your people, Lord, that you'll help us in this moment. But no, 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 in this moment, Nehemiah says, God, sick them. <laughs> right? That's what he did. I mean, this was an honest, heartfelt prayer. You see, I believe that God honors our honesty. And Nehemiah's like, God, we can't do this. We were on a good track. 
God, we were, we were going strong. And then you, the voices of the enemy around us started getting in our heads. People are tired. They're discouraged. He knew that the enemies were not fighting against him. He knew that they were actually fighting against God. And the Bible says that the battle is not ours, but it's his. That's what we need to grab a hold of. The battle is not ours to fight. The battle is God's. Do you know what our role is? We're the victor. The Bible says that we are more than conquerors. We don't have to stay in the land of defeat. We don't have to stay in the land of discouragement. We've got to give it to God. We've got to lay it before him. We've got to surrender it to him and say, God, do what only you can do. Let God battle. And then we pick up the victory flag and we begin to march. That's what God's called us to do. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. Paul says a final word. Be strong in the Lord. Look at that. He doesn't say, be strong in your own ability. Be strong in your own efforts. Man up, toughen up. He didn't say that, does he? No, he says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. In those moments when you're feeling weak, in those moments when you're feeling discouragement begin to set in, in those moments when the enemy's voice is beginning to ring in your ear and you begin to internalize all of that, in that moment, step into the presence of God, step into the authority of God, let God begin to renew something inside of you. He says, put on. That takes efforts, right? It doesn't happen by happenstance. When you get ready for the day, you don't just kind of happen to fall into your clothes and walk out. Oh, look at there. I got pants on. No, you have to purposeful. Some of you ladies, you take a lot more time than us guys. <sighs> very seldom, very seldom, once I get dressed, very seldom do I change into something else. Few and far between do I go before the mirror and go, nah. Normally, I'm like, that'll work. I got pants, I got shirt, I got shoes, I'm good. So we're purposeful in what we put on as attire. Some of you ladies, you change 45 times. Some of you, 46. You're purposeful in what you wear. You stand before that mirror, you examine at all angles. Okay, we're good today. Problem is spiritually, we don't do that. We think, you know what? I don't need that armor today. I don't need to clothe myself in the things of God. I'll wait till Sunday. I'll, I'll get that out of the closet on Sunday. Then I'll put that on, and, and everybody will think, oh, you wore that all week. It's still nice and shiny. It's shiny because it's never been in battle. It's shiny because you haven't put it on to fight the good fight, to finish the race. I challenge you, as Paul said here, he says, put on all of God's armor. 
so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. If you want to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil, you've got to put on all of the armor. Well, God, why can't I ever defeat the enemy? Because you don't clothe yourself. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. That coworker that you battle with all day long, guess what, my friend? It's not against you, but against every evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against the mighty powers of the dark world, against the evil spirits in the heavenly places. Nehemiah took this to heart. He didn't step forward with the people and say, you know what? Let me lecture you in this moment. Let's organize a a raiding party. Let's create some new propaganda and a new thought process. Here's the principle that we learned from Nehemiah. When people talk against you, don't talk back. Talk to God. When people talk against you, don't talk back. Talk to God. Some of you need to write that down this morning because some of you are really quick to let the flapper take loose. Someone says something you don't like. They call you a weak, feeble Jewish person. They ask you, do you really think that your little sacrifices can make a difference? Do you really think you can make something out of all this rubbish? And what do you do? Well, let me tell you something. (laughs) And we just go off the handle. We say some things that we shouldn't say. In that moment, we let the flesh take over and I believe that every time we do that, the enemy goes, got him. Got him. But if you will clothe yourself in the full armor of God, maybe you say, Pastor, I don't even know what the full armor of God is. Go to Ephesians chapter 6. Begin to read. Begin to digest the full armor of God. Let God clothe you in that today. But then in verse 9, we find out that, that they did two things. Number one, they prayed to God. And number two, they posted guards. They gave it to God, but they put action to their faith. In other words, again, we've said it numerous times, they prayed as if it depended upon God, and they worked as if it depended upon them. They prayed and they worked. Number two, evaluate your approach. Number one, stay connected with God. Number two, you've got to evaluate your approach. You've got to take a once over. You've got to examine what's going on. Verse 13, Nehemiah says, so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall. In other words, I identified the weakest link. I identified the place, the point of the wall where the enemy, if he decided to attack, I identified that place of weakness in my life, in my situation. I strategically placed individuals there. I raised the guards in that place so that when the enemy stepped up, we weren't easily overtaken. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. Nehemiah had already organized the people in chapter 3. Do you remember that? 
He had already gone through the process of organizing. You, this group over here, you're going to build the wall on the east side. This group over here, you're going to do the south wall. The priest, you're going to go back here and you're going to grab this, this gate back here. And other individuals, you've got this section. He had already done that. But here he is in this situation. He's identifying this is a new moment. New opposition had raised up against them. If the enemy is going to attack, they would look for that weakest point, the vulnerable spots. Now, when we're discouraged, one of the things that we need to do is recognize that weak point in our life. Where is that place? What is that point of no return? You see, it's vital that we look at our lives and adopt a change of approach instead of becoming discouraged and wanting to quit. In other words, do something about it. Verse 16, the workers reorganized again by dividing responsibilities. Half of them worked, half of them kept watch. The ones that worked, they would, with one arm, they would push the wheelbarrow. With the other arm, they would hold the sword. They would hold the weapon. They were ready at any moment. They were working, they were defending. They were working, they were defending. They examined and reevaluated the weak points in their lives. I challenge you today, do a once-over in your life. Where are the weak points? Maybe it's a time of day. Maybe it's a day of the week. Maybe it's when you place yourself in the environment at the workplace, you hang around the coffee pot, everybody begins to talk. Maybe it's at the grocery store, maybe it's that convenience store that you pass by, that's your weak points. Reevaluate what needs to change in your life so that you can heighten up the security at those vulnerable places in your life. Finally, number three today. Remember who God is is. Number one, stay connected to God. Number two, evaluate your approach. And number three, remember who God is. Look what it says in verse 14. Then I looked over the situation. Nehemiah says, I took a moment to really examine what's going on. I, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, don't be afraid of the enemy. Well, some of you need to let that sink in. God has not given you the spirit of fear. You are the victor, not the victim. Society today is going to do everything it can to convince you that you are the victim. Everybody is against you. Everybody wants to destroy you. That's what society is going to try to tell you. But you are the victor. It's time to begin to walk in that authority. And, and Nehemiah looked at the situation. He called the nobles and the rest of the people together. He says, don't be afraid. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fights for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your home. He says, remember 
who God is. Greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. There's nothing that my God cannot do. God is with you today in your situation. Remember who he is. Nehemiah knew that even in the midst of opposition, even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of discouragement, the success of the wall completely depended on, are you ready for this? God. The people right out at the gate, they said, we can't do this on our own. Right. You can't avoid discouragement by yourself. You can't accomplish anything of lasting value by yourself. It's not feasible because something's going to rise up against you. Someone's going to say something. Something's going to happen. Discouragement's going to set in. You're going to want to give up if you lean upon yourself. In verse 10, the people stated, we can't rebuild this. Nehemiah began to remind them they must depend upon God. He says, remember who God is. When you're down, Turn your attention from the discouragement to the one that can do something about it. God has been faithful in the past. He will be faithful in the future. The question that I've got to ask is this. Wasn't the rubble there in the beginning? Come on, the same rubble that they're now saying, there's so much work to be done, we can't possibly accomplish this task. Wasn't that rubble already there? So what changed? Here's what changed. In the beginning, their eyes were set upon God. In the beginning, they were saying, with God's help, we can and will accomplish the task ahead of us. But in this moment, they had shifted their attention from the problem solver to the problem itself. They were overrun by all the debris, all the rubble. I would say this to you. If you focus on all the junk in your life, you will become discouraged. If you focus on the junk in your life, you will become discouraged. Be determined to focus on God, to remember who He is instead of these distractions around you. Look what it says in Psalm 116. The Lord saved me from death. He stopped my tears and kept me from defeat. And so I walk in the presence of the Lord in the world of the living. I walk into the presence of God. I walk in step with God. I realize that the opposition is still against me. I realize there's still rubble all around me. But I walk in the presence of God. I kept on believing. Look at this. I love this. He says, I kept on believing, even when I said, I'm completely crushed. Man, what do we often say? I'm crushed, so I give up. Right? 
I'm crushed, so I'm throwing in the towel. I don't even believe anymore. But here the psalmist said, I kept on believing. Even in those moments when I was completely crushed, even when I was afraid and said, no one can be trusted. I want you to know something today. The presence of God is here before you today. He's right where you are. He wants to see you through your discouragement. He wants to give you motivation to keep moving forward. He wants to give you the power to stand firm and solid in your faith. Yes, there are going to be times when opposition rises against you. The question is this, where will you turn in that moment? I want to encourage you, keep pressing forward with God. Stay connected with God. You're going to have to reevaluate. You're going to have to look at your situation. You're going to have to raise up some security in some areas. You're going to have to give those points and those places to God. But in that time, remember who he is. Begin to lean upon him. Begin to depend upon God today. Why? Because he'll see you through. Nehemiah, the people of Jerusalem, eventually they rebuilt the wall. The entire wall went up in 52 days. They knocked it out of the park. Why? Because they were awesome? No. Because they began to lean upon God. Even in the midst of opposition, I want to challenge you today. There's going to be moments when you can choose to go one way or the other. You can choose to embrace the discouragement, the doubts, the fear, the defeats, or you can turn it to God. You can grab that victory flag. You can march forward in the presence of God. Would you pray with me today? God, Lord, I ask you right now, Lord, speak in this place. Lord, anoint your people. Lord, help us to connect to you, to remain connected. Lord, help us to to examine what's happening in our lives. Make the adjustments that need to be made. But Lord, through it all, help us to remember who you are. speak to your people right now. In Jesus' name. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, today you are here. And you say, Pastor, I I don't have Jesus in my life. Point one, Pastor, you mentioned that we got to stay connected to God. I don't have a relationship with him. The good news for you is this. God desires to be a part of your life. In fact, he desires it so much that the Bible said he sent Jesus to die on the cross. He sent the perfect sacrifice 
for us. And in 1 John, it says that if we confess our sins, he's faithful. God is faithful. Because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for you, God is faithful to forgive you of everything you've done wrong, to cleanse you of all the junk that separates you from him. You're here today. You're like, Pastor, that's me. I got a lot of junk. I got some things that I need to give up. And too often we think, well, I'll go to God. I'll come to God when I get my life straight. No, 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 no. You got it backwards. God says, come to me with all your junk and let me help you clean up. Let me help you in your situation. You're here today. That's you. And you say, Pastor, I want to give my life to Jesus. Would you raise your hand today? Would you let me pray with you all across the house? Come on. Yes, there's one. Come on. There's two. Three. Come on. Is that you? Is that you? God sees you where you are. He sees you amongst the rubble in your life. And he says, I'm here to help you. Is that you? Second question is this. You're here today. You say, Pastor, if I'm really being honest, and I fight this discouragement thing, I need God's help. I don't want to hang out in discouragements. I want to hang out in the, in the world of the victor. I want to hang out in the world of, of hope. But I need his help. Because I've let the rubble overwhelm me. If that's you, if you be honest with yourself, honest with God, would you raise your hand? Yes. One, two, three. Come on, is that you? All across the house. It's okay. There was a whole community, a whole city that was overwhelmed. The people, everyone wanted to give up, they said. Is that you? I'm going to give you about three seconds. We're going to wrap this thing up. Is that you? Two seconds. Last call. Would you stand with me all across the house? I'm going to ask my prayer partners to come and line the front of the room. If you raise your hand for either question, I'm going to ask you to leave your seats to come find one of our prayer partners. Share with them why you've come forward. Let them pray with you today. They want to introduce you to Jesus Christ. They want to pray encouragement over you today. If that's you, would you leave your seat? Would you come? Let one of our prayer partners pray with you.